0: Sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, accelerate your business growth has got to cover. And now on with the show. My guest today is David Newman. David is known as one of the top revenue growth mentors for consultants, executive coaches, and B2B experts who want to get better clients, bigger deals, and higher fees. His Do It MBA mentoring program has more than 800 successful graduates. He's the author of the number one business bestsellers, Do It Marketing and Do It Speaking. His latest book, Do It Selling, will be released in April of 2023. Thanks so much for being here today, David.
1: Hey, Diane. It's great to be with you.
0: It is great to have you here. Sales is one of my favorite topics. Uh, so, I know I'm going to love this conversation, um, and and so I guess I want to start with what I will call a bit of a baseline. So, a lot of business owners and service professionals uh, struggle with selling. It's sort of a mystery to them if they hadn't been in sales before they went into their own business. I think they um, struggle. And so from your perspective, how are they, like, what are they doing that's paralyzing their efforts before they even start selling?
1: Great question. Well, I think the first thing is uh, (laughs) sort of a mindset that sales is this black box hidden in an ivory tower behind 17 different combination locks. (laughs) And I think part of that is because of some bad sales training. From the 1980s and 90s and so forth. And some of it might be the way that we the way that we're sold to by bad salespeople. And then we become an entrepreneur. And it's like, oh, I don't want to be like him. I don't want to be like her. Honey, remember when we bought that refrigerator? Remember that last car we bought? Remember when I went into that high-end shop and they treated me like crap. So it's it's our experience as buyers has sometimes colored our experience as sellers. So we think that to do a much better job with this, Diane, we have to have some kind of crazy, you know, seven year PhD in sales and selling. And in my experience, it's really about unlearning, unlearning all the bad, crazy, toxic things that perhaps we've been taught or perhaps you've experienced as a buyer, And I like to reframe sales in a very simple, approachable kind of way. I I call this the invitation to a conversation. So if you don't like the word sales, you don't like the word selling. And Diane, you and I might be the only two who actually love sales and (laughs) love selling. Everyone else listening is like, oh, I love the work of my work, but I just hate the sales part. So for those folks, here's the mantra. Throw out the word sales, throw out the word selling. Think of it as an invitation to a conversation. I want to break down both parts of that. Who's afraid of an invitation? Usually we like invitations. Usually good things happen when you send an invitation or when you receive one, you go to a party with either cake or bourbon or barbecue, all good. All good things happen when an invitation comes across. Conversation, part two, not many people are afraid of a conversation. In fact, we sometimes look forward to conversations. They're engaging, you learn things, you get to meet cool people, exchange ideas with them. Some of those people may even become your new best friends. So if you literally replace sales and selling with the key question are you sending enough invitations to a conversation about how you might be helpful to a given prospect or a given client? If you're if you're doing that, this all of a sudden becomes a whole lot easier. And we're not overanalyzing and we're not overthinking and we're not over-paralyzing. We're having a human-to-human conversation based on concern and value and rapport and relevance and relationship. And that's that's what a lot of the do-it-selling book is about: is how to simplify this, how to unlearn some of the bad habits. And how to really reframe sales as a a human to human conversation and a human to human value exchange.
0: Okay, I, I love this, um, and I, I can hear people saying to themselves, "Okay, that's great. Feels so much better. I get it." But then going out and ha- and having that conversation. Like, like, that's where they fall down. They, yes. they do the invitation, they get the conversation, but they go right into selling mode. Oh,
1: my so what gosh. You say to them? Totally. Well, so here's the deal. Uh, the reason that people hate initial conversations, or they, they even hate, let's get very specific here, Diane. They hate the first 10 seconds of the initial conversation, yeah. because they're like, what do I say? What do I pitch? What do I what mm. do I need to convey to this person in the yeah. first 10 seconds that's gonna make them want to buy? Yeah. And the actual opposite of that is what needs to happen. So an early, early sales mentor of mine gave me the following aha insight. He said, David, you know, a prospect who is listening is not a prospect. Mm-hmm. Sat there and I had to think about that for a second. A prospect who's listening. Is not a pro oh, oh, so a prospect who's talking is a prospect. He says, Yeah, exactly right. So our job is not to present, and this whole concept of a sales presentation is totally broken, totally crazy, totally outdated, especially for people who are selling, uh, selling something fairly simple. I mean, if, if you're selling space shuttle components. Maybe you need a presentation. Most of us are not selling components for the space shuttle or -hmm. nuclear power plants or anything else. Uh, We're selling something fairly simple to understand compared to that. So you will always be judged. Here's another little pain relief reminder. You will always be judged far more on the questions that you ask than on the statements that you make. So what does that mean? That means that we need to become masters of curiosity. And if you want, there's no better way to take the attention off yourself, which causes all this crazy sales pressure and you're in the hot seat and you're in the spotlight and they're judging you. Nothing takes the pressure off that than asking questions. The person who's asking the questions is actually in control of that interview. And I even, I have a section in the Do It Selling book that's about auditioning your prospects So it's not about showing up hat in hand, vendor mindset, peddler mindset. I hope they like me. I hope they accept me. I hope that this is something that I can close. We're actually on the other side of this equation. So we are auditioning our clients as much or maybe even more so than they're auditioning us. And that is a question-based process. And it's really digging in right away and going much deeper, much sooner in a sales conversation to what's important to them. What are the outcomes they're trying to achieve? What are the problems they're trying to solve? What are the heartaches, headaches, pains, problems, challenges, gaps that they're experiencing? What are their goals, hopes, dreams, aspirations, and outcomes that they would really like to get by buying from you and investing in your products or services? So the more that you ask questions, And the deeper and the more meaningful the questions are, uh, the better. So think of your favorite interviewer, whoever your favorite celebrity interviewer is. Maybe it's somebody on 60 Minutes. Maybe it's Oprah. But you want to really take off your sales hat and put on your investigative journalist or professional interviewer hat. And why do people open up on these shows like 60 Minutes? Why do people start crying on Oprah's couch back when she had a show, it's because she just looks at them, she asks these penetrating questions, and then she shuts up and she lets them process, she lets them think, she lets them vent. People have told Oprah things that their best friend, that their spouse, that their children, that nobody else knows in their life, but Oprah, who was a total stranger until five minutes until they walk out on the set, Oprah was a total stranger until she asked that critical question in the right way, using the right words, with the right come from, and the come from is genuine care, genuine connection, and genuine curiosity, and they're telling Oprah things that they never thought they would tell anyone. They thought they would go to the grave with those secrets or those secret dreams or ambitions or sins or skeletons in the closet. We need to become more like 60 Minutes and more like Oprah. Because think about it, when Oprah's interviewing somebody, she's not feeling any pressure, right? She's asking questions, they're responding. And then based on that response, we're going deeper. We're seeing where the conversation goes. So any concept of a sales script, I want to throw that out the window also. The Do It Selling book has lots of language, lots of questions, but they're frameworks. They are not scripts. The moment that you start reading from a set-in-stone script... That conversation is dead. That relationship is now on cyborg autopilot. That person is feeling no connection and no bonding and no rapport with you. And then you wonder, well, gosh, that that really didn't go well. I don't think they like me. I don't think they trust me. I don't don't think that we built enough of a connection. Of course not, because you use the sales script instead of a sales framework that is organic and living and responsive, and that also fits your own personality preferences and strengths. That's my big problem, Diane, with all the sales scripting out there. You yeah. open up so many of these sales books and it's say exactly this in exactly right. these words and exactly this way at exactly yeah. this time. And we become sales robots instead yeah. of becoming sales humans.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, that that's what I always say is, um, there's things you have to do in sales, but how you do them is really based on who you are and who your prospects are and what you're comfortable with. That's what you're going to do best, Yes, so, right. So, and most people are comfortable with having conversations, asking questions, listening to the answers, taking the focus off of themselves and putting them on to someone else. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, Talk to us about charging higher fees. How does you know what's that all about? How does someone get into that mindset?
1: Oh my gosh! Okay,
0: <laughs> we could
1: do a whole show just on this. I know you have a ton of insights on this as well. Um, we need to like go out and have you know have a bourbon, have a coffee, and, and just you know rant about this for a few hours. So the here's what I hear when folks say to me, David, you know, my prices are competitive. We're having a hard enough time selling what we sell at our current prices. Are you insane? You want us to raise our prices, raise our fees, increase our rates? And my answer is yes. Because if you're not generating the revenue that you want and that you need, you want to look at who you're selling to and at what fees. And when when people say to me, David, I'm afraid I'm going to price myself out of the market. Right. What I say to them is I need you to price yourself out of the market because you are in a broke market. You are in a market that is tire kickers, price shoppers, goofballs, and goobers. And you want to price yourself into a much higher market where premium clients are not only able to pay, they're not only willing to pay, they are expecting to pay. Premium fees. So let me just, I'll just drop a couple of thought right. bombs on people here and we'll see if this resonates or not. Okay. So there are so many reasons to sell the, to the top of your market. Uh, high fees are paid by clients who are doing well, not those who are struggling. And I have a section in the Do It Selling mm-hmm. book that you want to find customers and prospects and clients who are hungry, but not who are starving. Because the starving are the ones Mm. that will put negative price pressure. They're always haggling. They're always bargaining. They're never happy. They're always looking for a deal. They're always looking for a coupon or cutting corners or some other craziness. High-end clients tend to be believers in what you do. Low-end clients tend to be skeptics. There's another mic drop moment. If you think back to all of your worst, cheapest, clients where you said, oh, I shouldn't have cut the price. I shouldn't have let them in. But I did. Those were the people that were micromanaging you and nitpicking and never happy. The high-end clients are a dream to work with. They're easier to please. They have a partnership attitude. Low-end clients are almost impossible to please because they look at you as a peddler. Now, let's also talk about uh, profitability. And I, I know, Diane, you've seen this research If you increase your profit margin just by a little bit, right? Let's say you, 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 I'm I'm sorry, if you raise your prices rather a little bit, Mm 10 to 20%, depending on the kind of business that you're in, that could have anywhere from a 50% to a 100% impact on your profit margin. So are you pricing things for your worst clients or are you pricing things for your best clients? Now. Last couple things, and then I I promise I'll shut up on this, but this is is so, so critical. This is great. Think about referrals. If you have a client base that is low-end, micromanaging, hard to please, guess who their friends are. So if you're attracting referrals to goofballs or people who don't see the value of what you offer, like attracts like. And it's very possible that your current clients and customers simply don't travel in the right circles. The moment that you upgrade your first handful of clients, that's going to have a multiplier effect because you're also going to upgrade the quality and quantity of your referrals. Mm -hmm. High-end clients expect great work, which is always what we want to do. And that's energizing and engaging. And it's fun for you and for your team to rise Mm -hmm. to that challenge. The problem is low-end clients expect perfect work. Perfect Even though they have no idea what they want, they change their mind constantly based on whims. They're a moving target of conflicted priorities. You know, it's like mean girl syndrome. One (laughs) day they're nice to you, the next day they pass you in the hallway without even saying hi. And it's demoralizing and exhausting and depressing for you, not to mention your team if you have a team, and to put up with these micromanaging, neurotic control freaks known as low-end clients. So my advice to you, my friends, Price yourself out of the broke market and start pricing yourself into the awesome client, serious market where they're able to pay, they're willing to pay, and they're expecting to pay premium fees.
0: That is such a great framework. I love that. It just it hits every point of it, and I swear the people are listening and they're nodding. You know, just thinking to themselves, "Boy, that totally rings with." My experience. Yeah. But yeah, and I love what you said about the referrals. I mean, that that is dead on.
1: Oh my gosh. Oh for sure.
0: Wow. Okay. (laughs) We got another hot button for you. And it's emails and getting prospects to open them. Pay attention. Yeah, you've got you've got an ingenious way to make sure they don't ignore prospects aren't ignoring emails. So
1: So I think that the key here, and and some business owners are willing to do this and some are not. Uh, We have a test, actually, in the Do It Selling book. Take your last prospecting email or LinkedIn message or Facebook message or whatever it is that you're using to reach out. Take that same message. If you can copy and paste that to your next five prospects, that is an F. That's a failure.
0: Nice.
1: You need to tailor and customize each of your outreach messages and email in particular so that these people have the answer Mm. to three things. And again, it's so helpful, Diane, I think, to take yourself out of entrepreneur and salesperson mode and reframe yourself as a prospect because all of us are both prospects and salespeople. When you get a generic Mm. message, LinkedIn, email, postcard, whatever it might be, you're asking yourself three questions. Why am I getting this? Why now? And why me? So literally, why this? Why now? Why me? If I do 15 minutes of research on your website or go to your social media, or I'm looking at the trade and industry publications that you're in, and I find an item about you or your company or an industry trend or a challenge, I'm I'm going to be able to send an email that is completely personalized to that particular prospect. So the example that I like to give, because I'm kind of in, in this kind of book mode here with the new book, let's say someone comes to my website, sees me on LinkedIn, and they send me the following message. The subject line is, David, about your new book. Now, am I going to open that email, Diane, that says, David, about your new book? yes. Person's done their homework. That it might be an endorsement. It might be, "Hey, I'd like to buy ten copies." It might be, who knows what? Subject. That's the subject line. The body says, "Hey, David. It looks like you have a uh, a new book coming out. I heard you on Diane's fantastic podcast. Uh, We help authors like you maximize your book sales. I noticed that your first book did really, really well. Your second book did even better." And I'm curious, what is it you're doing to make sure that this third book is an even bigger success? Uh Question mark. Now, am I going to reply to that email? Of course, I'm going to reply to that email because they know something about me personally or professionally. They've done their homework. Now, when I say you got to do your homework, people freak out and they say, I don't have that kind of time. It's like 15 minutes Uh per person. So the best way that I can, I can persuade you and convince you, uh, our our listeners, not Diane, because Mm -hmm. Diane knows this, uh, I'm reminded of a TV detective show and they're doing a stakeout. And when they're doing a stakeout, right, they're listening in on all this person's calls. They're tracking their whereabouts, where they're going, they're they're who they're meeting with. They've bugged the phones. They've installed little video cameras in the apartment at some point they lose track of their prime suspect and he goes and he meets with someone and they have no idea who it is. So their lieutenant, when they come back to the station, their lieutenant says, what? You lost him? You were supposed to be following this guy 24 seven. I want to know every place he goes. I want to know every person he meets with. I want to know every conversation that he has. I want to see every email that he's sending or receiving. I want to know how he likes his eggs. And that was the punchline, is that if you know your prospects Mm -hmm. to the point where you know how they like their eggs, and you can send an initial email or message that is a direct hit on why this, why me, why now? So go back to my email about the person says, hey, David, I want to make sure that your book, uh, your third book is as big a success as your first two. Why Mm -hmm. me? Well, because I wrote the book and the guy found my website. Why this? Because this is something that's probably one of my top priorities. Why now? Because the book is coming out right now. Three months ago, this would not have been a relevant message. Three months from now, this would not have been a relevant message because he missed the boat. So thinking about what can I look for? What are the DNA markers of when people really need our product or our service the most and how can I scan the horizon and intelligently find prospects that are in that exact situation right now? And you do that with a combination of newsjacking and looking for trigger events or just going to their website and looking at their, if it's a public company, download the annual report. If it's not a public company, go to their media page, go to their press release page, set Google alerts. But you need to know how they like their eggs. And when you do initial outreach that way, 75% of people will respond. When you do cold, batch and blast, copy and paste email, less than 5% of people respond.
0: Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school, so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.
1: How much do you understand the future of finance? Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube.
0: So so uh, i so with you. And I thought of something while you were talking, and that is what I didn't hear you say was these salespeople, small business owners, um, should be spending their time Figuring out how they can convince the prospect that the prospect needs their product or service—is
1: that a question?
0: Well, you know, no, not really. I mean, it's leading to a question, I guess, which is (laughs) um, because you know, I'm sure you don't believe in convincing either. Exactly. That's where I was going.
1: It's like, wait a minute, Diane, we're not convincing, and we're not in the convincing and persuading (laughs) business
0: because we're not. And this is. This is another yeah. thing,
1: right? We're, and here's where convincing and, and persuading comes from. Okay. Number one, we want to be liked. Number two, we want to sound smart. Those two things will kill your sales results faster than anything else. When you're in uh, convincing and, and per- persuading and chasing mode, and your number one priority is I need them to like me. Number two, I need to show them how smart I am. Uh, And this is another big myth, right? We call it the no like trust factor. They have to like you. Uh, They don't actually have to like you at all. They do have to trust you, however. And there is the best way to build trust is with relevance. And that's why you have to do the research, right? The research and the relevance is going to take your initial outreach from cold to warm. In some cases, hot. Because you've done your homework and you know exactly what are the trigger uh, events, what are the inflection points, what are the critical situations. And and by inflection points, that could be either good or bad, right? Hiring, firing, merger, acquisition, upsizing, downsizing, open up new markets, announce a new product, new CEO, VP just got promoted, all of these trigger events you can find on LinkedIn, you can find with Google searches. Sometimes you can find it right smack on their website. It's right under your nose. So one thing that I really hate, and I I rail against this also in the do it selling book is lazy sellers. Mm. Oh my goodness. Do 15 minutes of work. If I'm, if I'm in a position where I could give you thousands or potentially tens of thousands of dollars, aren't you going to do 15 minutes of research Mm. about who I am and where I'm coming from and what I might need and what industry I'm in and what, pressures and forces are working on me and what opportunities and what strategic initiatives I might have if you do that you will literally increase your initial contact rate by a factor of five or or, or ten. I mean right now if, if you're getting nothing because we're sending totally generic batch and blast yeah. messages that are so easy to ignore yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know here's the other thing and think of yourself as a prospect again take off the seller hat, put on the buyer hat, When someone demonstrates just a little bit of effort, that they've done some homework, they know who you are, they know a little bit about your company or about your situation, just out of respect, don't you want to respond to that person going, well, at least this person did their homework. Now, you might not even take the meeting with them, but you might at least reply to the email saying, no, thanks. We're good. Really appreciate the outreach. Uh, so many messages go directly into delete, 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 delete because there's no relevance and there's no respect and there's no relationship because there was no research. Those are all re words, Diane. Re, re, re. Relevance, relationship, respect, right? That's what's going to yeah. get you the reply.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. It's so great. And the other thing that I'm hearing, which I, I think bears, pointing out just in case people, I can't imagine they didn't hear it, but is that you can't assume that just because a company or a person looks like your ideal client, that that means they are. And, and, you know, that they absolutely need or want what it is that you have to sell.
1: Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and, And this, this whole tentative you know, it's it's and when I say tentative, it's from a place of certainty. So it's you're you're saying, hey, do you think it might make sense for us to have a quick chat? right? Mm-hmm. That's a question. Person might very well say no. And sometimes you you can say, do you think it it might make sense for us to have a quick chat or not? And when you say or not, mm-hmm. and you leave room for the no, that takes all the pressure off. And they will respect you more and they are actually more likely to say yes when you present the not, right? Hey, David, do you think it may make sense for us to have a 15-minute chat or not? I'm like, oh, okay. Well, this person is not forcing anything down my throat. Well, sure, it's worth a 15-minute chat. So when you leave room for no, you get more yeses.
0: Interesting. Wow. Oh, this is so, so great. Um it's it, I I mean I knew I was gonna love this conversation. Um so talk to me about when well, how do I want to ask this question? Um responses. So you meet with a prospect, you have the conversation, you go through all of this, and they say, um, you know, let me get back to you, or not right now, you know, later, w- whatever it is. Um, is there something that we're doing wrong? I mean, there's so many questions, so many ways I could ask this question. <laughs> there's uh, so many
1: answers too.
0: I know, right? So, okay, but just take it and and do whatever with it because I, I know it'll be gold.
1: Totally, totally, totally. So this is about, you know, sales, obj- and it's funny, some people have mentioned this to me. There is not a lot of information on sales objections in my book. And there's a very specific reason for that that I mentioned in the preface. That first of all, there's a lot of other great books on sales objections. You don't need a 17th one. But if you do the sales process the way that I recommend in the Do It Selling book, there is a tremendous chance that prospects will close themselves. And wow. that you will not get objections because you've handled the objections along the way, wow. along the way. So let's talk about, and also here's the other thing, Diane, and I think you're, you're, uh, you're obviously teach this and preach this also. When we lose a sale at the end, it's like, oh, I'm a terrible closer. I really can't close. Diane, I, I, I need some help with closing. You actually don't need help with closing. You, you need help with the opening and the middle. Because yeah. you, you never lose it at the end. There was something that you said or didn't mm. say, asked or didn't ask early on or in the middle. And there was some landmine under the surface that was a gotcha. It was an uncovered danger. I'm sorry. It was a, it was an undiscovered rather right. you, that you failed to uncover
0: yeah.
1: a possible objection or an obstacle or something else. So let's talk about the opening because closing problems are really opening problems in disguise. I always have a great opening question that gets the prospect talking immediately. And that opening question is, well, Bob, I'm curious, assuming my prospect's name is Bob. Well, Bob, I'm curious, what have you done to get to where you are today? Give me a quick sketch of your journey up to this point with this problem. And then we'll spend the rest of the call talking about where you'd like to go next. Now." What does that question do? That opens them up for a five to seven minute rant. They're going to tell you what's right. They're going to tell you what's wrong. They're going to tell you what makes them upset. They're going to tell you their pet peeves. They're going to tell you what they've tried. All of that is fantastic. So we're going to get initial data dump on the table. The second question, which will also prevent objections and, and make for more closing at the end, Bob, that sounds great. We're going to dig into that in a moment. Before we start, do you mind if I treat you like a fee-paid client? That's magic question number two. Do you mind if I treat you like a fee-paid client? And they're either going to answer, well, yeah, sure, that would be great. Or more often they go, uh, sure, but but what does that mean? And my answer to that and your answer to that should be, that means I'm going to give you some specific advice. I may interrupt and redirect our conversation to maximize the value of our time together today. And I will tell you what you need to hear and not necessarily what you want to hear. Is that okay with you? Because obviously if I'm treating them like a fee paid client, all the pressure is off. I'm just, now I'm just asking questions. I'm in diagnosis mode. I'm in uncover mode. And most clients, when you say, is that okay with you? Most prospects, they go, oh my gosh, that would be great. That would be great. And now listen to what you just got permission for they start getting squirrely, they start going off the ranch, they start throwing up some typical buyer defenses, you asked for permission to interrupt, you asked for permission to redirect, and you asked for permission to structure the call to maximize the value to them of this conversation. So two parts to that. Number one, it's a real value call that we're not answering questions, but we're certainly collecting Questions. We're collecting agenda items for what's missing, funky, broken, and sad with what they have going on. And at the same time, we are putting guardrails in place where you've essentially said, hey, this is my house, my rules. I'm going to interrupt, I'm going to redirect. So, example, this is the killer question that everybody hates. Well, Diane, can you just tell me how much it is? Right. So, the premature. Oh. How much is it? How much does it cost? Share your pricing. And we're three minutes into the conversation. Now, when that happens, what did I just get permission to do? I gave permission to interrupt. I gave permission to redirect. I, I, I got permission rather to interrupt. I got permission from them to redirect. I got permission to put guardrails around the conversation. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to say, well, Bob, I appreciate the question. Most, I guess most salespeople in my position would take that as a buying signal. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So if we decide that there's some logical reason for us to work together, I promise you, you will know the pricing. You will know the various investment options before you spend a dime with us. Is it okay if I get back to figuring out if we're a fit in the first place? So you do this from a place of strength, a place of assertiveness, and a place of clarity that I'm not going to answer your little BS, hey, how much is it question. Anytime they ask a question three times in a row, like if they will not let this go. No, really, David, how much is it? I will do another redirect. The third time, I will say, Bob, You know, I'm going to be honest with you because five minutes ago, you gave me permission to tell you what you need to hear and not necessarily what you want to hear. If you persist in asking that question, I don't think we're a great fit to work together. Nice. And there's a whole bunch of other things you you can say also. One of my favorite answers when they go, how much is it? How much is it? How much is it? I say it's $17 million. (laughs) And then I pause. And then they're like, are you joking? Or are you kidding? I then say, until and unless I know more about what problem you're trying to solve or what outcome you're trying to reach and whether or not, you know, we can help you small, medium, large, or super size. Once I find out more, uh, I'm sure that price will come down. I'm sure that price will come down. But right now we're three minutes in, I don't know you, you don't know me. So it's $17 million. Uh, And I have a whole bunch of there's 17, actually 17 answers in the do it selling book about what to do when you get that premature how much does it cost question
0: Oh my god I so love that this your your book when it comes out is a must read by every small business owner on the planet
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank oh. you. Well, this is just common sense. You know, I mean, people, wow. uh, another early sales mentor, because I I was a voracious student, right? I was, I was, I, I signed up for all the coaching, all the training, uh, joined the masterminds. And one of my early folks that I, I was in a mastermind group with said, you know, David, you are really, really concerned about being a better salesperson. This was like 15 years ago. And uh, he said, you know, I think that's that's not really the trick here. Be a better person and more sales will happen. And that stuck with me to this very day. And I will probably take that advice to my grave. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about being a better salesperson. Be a better person and more sales will happen. Meaning complete transparency, complete integrity, complete honesty. No more stupid sales tricks. Say what you think. You know, the, the TSA, when we go to the airport, has all those public service announcements. If you see something, say something. I believe that if you think something, say something. That if there's a thought going through your mind going, wow, that's a really crazy question. They're asking that way too early. That is so silly. Why in the world would they be asking that question? In some way, that needs to come out of your mouth. So literally, if you if you see something, sell something. Right. Because that's if you're not open and honest and transparent, if you keep those feelings bottled up, number one, the sales process is not going to roll out the way that you want. And this person's going to think that you're playing games. So when we ignore, when we minimize, when we try (laughs) and brush away red flags, I will sometimes, Diane, in the middle of a sales conversation, I might say to a prospect, Diane, I'm going to pause right here for a quick moment, because remember, permission to interrupt. Yeah, I'm already seeing two or three red flags in, in in our conversation so far. May I share them with you? Person goes, "Oh, okay." So remember, early on, you asked me about price, and it sounds like you're going to make this decision based on price. That's red flag number one. Red flag number two is you were asking me about, you know, have I done work with 17 other clients in your exact situation, in your exact industry, in your exact niche on a four o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon, and that specificity and like, hey, have you done this a hundred times with people exactly like me? Uh, I don't think you'll find anyone that has done this a hundred times with people exactly like you. So that's an unrealistic expectation. And then thing number three, whatever thing number three is. And then I will pause. And if they don't jump in with a response right away, what I would say is, Diane, I'm curious, what's your response to those three red flags? And you will be amazed when you're completely open, completely honest, and completely transparent. You're having a real conversation with prospects, not a tippy-toe around the hot buttons, I hope they like me and I hope I sound smart, but you're being real with them, so many more sales will happen. And if they don't happen, you will stop wasting your time and you will disqualify the bad fit clients much, much sooner.
0: Yeah. And there are bad fits, which is part of what you're talking about that I'm hoping people are hearing that 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 you get the opportunity when you do it this way to say um, this just isn't right for me. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is huge.
1: Really big. Uh, One of my favorite quotes. uh, It's don't be afraid of the right prospect saying no. Be afraid of the wrong prospect saying yes.
0: Oh, that's great! No kidding. Oh, wow. Oh my God! I th- see. Thank you so much. I I have loved this conversation, and I, I have learned uh, so many great things that I know the listeners have as well. So, thank you so much for spending this time and. Tell the listeners how they can find you, how they'll be able to get the book, you know, all the good. Sure,
1: absolutely. So the first place to go is simply DoItSelling.com. DoItSelling.com will take you right to the page where you can order the book and download all the free companion tools, training and resources. We also on our main website, which is marketing. We have a free downloadable manifesto. It's a 37-page PDF, so that's pretty cool. That's at doitmarketing.com slash manifesto. And then we also have some free on-demand training, which is at doitmarketing.com slash webinar. So those are three great entry points into our world and the book and all the companion tools for the book. Once again, doitselling.com.
0: Fabulous. Thank you. I will make sure, excuse me, that that is in the show notes. And as I said, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcasts.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day.
1: The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway.